Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. James 3.13 Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he who gives more grace, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Last week, um, in our study of the book of James, we transitioned from the perfect law of liberty into the perfect way of wisdom. And as we analyzed that, we saw that the same theme, though, that we, we ended with with that perfect law of liberty, and that is that um, true faith is evidenced by true works, is going to be played out as we get into this concept of wisdom. And this is important because J James started off in his studies letting us know that God is the giver of every morally good gift and every perfect bestowment. And one of those things he stated earlier was that as we were going through our troublesome situations, trials, uh, temptations, that if we lacked wisdom, we should ask of God, who gives to all <coughs> liberally. Okay, And so God, as the giver of every good and perfect gift, is the one who gives us wisdom as well when we need that. Okay, And so if we're asking God for that wisdom and we're asking God for how to handle things, then the reality is then our faith 
is then expressed to God, asking him for that wisdom. And then if he gives us the wisdom and we follow it, then what's going to come out is works. So our works, what we do, is going to demonstrate what we really believe. Does that make sense? Okay. In the Shema, so again, remember James, a Jewish man, writing to a Jewish audience, right? And so the Shema is the most important passage, and most important verse in the entire Bible, okay? You say, how do I know that? Well, I got it on good, good, um, good um, authority, because Jesus, when he was asked what is the most important part of the Bible, he went back to the Shema. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. The Shema portion begins at Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one, and you shall love the Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in a house, whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down, and whether you're rised up. You shall put them as a sign upon your hands, and as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh your God, Yahweh is Echad. He is one. If you really believe that, faith, if you really believe that, what are you going to do? You're going to love the Lord your God with all your, Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, and all your strength. And if you do that, what are you going to do? You're going to hide God's word in your heart. And if you do that, what are you going to do? You're going to teach it repetitively to your children, whether you're no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, it it's going to govern everything you do with your hand. It's going to govern everything you put in your eyes, in your ears. It's going to govern everything that goes on in your house and on in, in your property. It kind of makes sense. Bring that into the New Testament, the New Covenant. What you believe will be evidenced in what you do. If you really believe that Jesus is Yahweh incarnate that he died on the cross for you, then as a response, you're going to love him with all you are. And if you really love him, you're going to want to know what he says. You're going to spend time in his word. And if you spend time in his word, you're going to start doing what he did. Does that make sense? True faith ultimately is evidenced by true works. Well, we went last week then looking into this uh, way of wisdom, and we saw the fact that there actually are two ways of wisdom that are out there. And this, again, parallels, I didn't really talk about this last week, but it parallels the book of Proverbs. There are two women who are crying out for Proverbs, for, for people to follow. The foolish man is, is, is out there, right? And there are two women who are on a hill crying out, follow me. Yes? One of them is wisdom. That's her name. But it's wisdom from above, if you would. The other one is called foolishness. But that's also, if you would, wisdom of the world. We always are given a choice to whose ways we want to follow. So Proverbs 3 tells us to trust in Yahweh with all our heart to lean not on our own understanding, to acknowledge him in all our ways, and he will what? Direct our, our paths. It just kind of makes sense. So what we're talking about is a, is a theme that has flowed all the way from the Garden of Eden 
through the book. Yahweh spoke to Adam, right? And he said to Adam, you can eat of any tree of the garden you want, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But the, the knowledge that was from the world, which is earthly, sensual, demonic, right? We talked about that. It's really ultimately from, from Satan, right? So it was personified by Satan himself at that moment. He comes, and he says to her, did God say that you couldn't eat of? And then he says, God knows that if you eat of that, you're going to become like him. Isn't that what the world wants to come? The world wants to tell you that you can be like God. That wisdom isn't from God. That wisdom is from Satan. It's earthly. It's sensual. Remember, it's sikakas. It's demonic. So the woman, Eve, chose to follow the wisdom of the world, if you would, rather than the wisdom of God. And sadly, she then turned around and gave to Adam, who was with her, and he chose to follow the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom of God. Choosing the wisdom of the world always leads to death. Choosing the wisdom of God always leads to life. And we saw that with the evidence. The evidence of following the wisdom of the world was bitter envy, self-seeking in the heart, boasting, lying against the truth. And so we saw in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God is being poured out upon men who choose to suppress the truth and exchange the glory of God for the image made by, by man, by his creation. Man chooses to worship creation rather than the creator. The evidences of those who are following the wisdom that which is from above then are purity, um, meekness, peaceable, uh, peace, gentleness, uh, a willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruits. When you see somebody and, and you, you, you just know a believer when you, when you meet them because of how they act, because of how they talk. I met numerous roofers this week, huh? Right? At, at Debbie's house. And the one guy immediately, I almost kicked him off the property. Okay? And then in the course of conversation, not, not be, it was something else, but then in the course of conversation, he used my God's name in vain multiple times. And then toward the end, end part of the conversation, he wants to make it look like he's a, he's a believer. You're not a believer. It doesn't happen that way. But we met another two guys as, who were definitely believers and had great conversations with them. It just flowed from them. Who you are flows from you. Does it make sense? Now, as we saw these two things, these two sources of wisdom, we saw the worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, that they are in conflict with one another. They are not compatible. You cannot have both worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. They are mutually exclusive. Not only are they not compatible, but they are actually in conflict with one another. It's sad for me to look at churches that want to follow the practices of the world and yet follow the ways of God. You can't do it. Our model for business, quote-unquote, is not business. Y'all, we're not a corporation. We're a body. We're a family. 
get corporation out of your brain. Now, after our dinner today, we're going to have a business meeting, okay? Straight up, but those who have been here long enough, you know we don't consider them business meetings. They're family meetings. And over a month ago, we start putting out what we're going to talk about so that we can already be talking about it, so that when we come to this time where we have to have, before the world, an official meeting, there's no argumentation that's going on. I don't know if you've been in church meetings. I always tell people, if you really want to know what a church is like, go to one of the business meetings. Been there, done that. Exactly. So have I. Okay? And you'll find out how much people are following the wisdom of the world and how much they're following the wisdom of God. And I'm not trying to build us up and, and, and I, don't, I really don't mean it that way. For what he's done. But, you, but I don't want to put my head in the sand. I don't want to be that ostrich. We got things wrong. Does it make sense? And so if we're wrong on something, we want to admit it. We want to acknowledge it. We want to confess it. We want to go before God, and we want to get it right. There's a lot of churches, sadly, in this area, specifically with business we talk about. They got it wrong. So the worldly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, they're in direct conflict with one another. That's exactly where James is going to go now. James has talked about the contrast between the two. Now he's going to talk about the conflict between the two. And what he's going to do is he's going to present arguments against walking in the wisdom of the world, and then he's going to present instructions for walking in, in the wisdom of heaven, in heavenly wisdom, okay? And he's going to do it first here with this polemic, okay, um, against worldly wisdom, and it's going to be like a lawyer presenting an accusatory line of reasoning. Okay, so I don't know if you saw that as we go into chapter 4. He begins right off with this, this line of questioning that's going to happen, right? It's like an interrogation that's going to go on. And he asks right off the bat, where do wars and fights come from? Okay, and so it's just a, a, in your face. What's kind of fun here for a moment, I'm using the word polemic because the word polemic means that it is a strong negative line of argumentation against something, Okay. But polemic, the word polemic, actually comes from the Greek word polemos, which is our word for war. So in a sense, James is warring almost against this, this, this negative side, okay? And there's a part where as a shepherd, if a wolf is coming among the sheep, the shepherd becomes a what? A defender, a warrior. You get it? Okay. I mean, because he's now going to be defending his sheep. So James, in a way, is defending. Remember, James is the chief elder in Jerusalem, okay? And so he's, he's defending this. He's, he's coming back and he's saying, look, guys, you're following the wrong pattern and you need to change. So he starts off with this opening line of questions. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? His assertion is, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Now, your desires for pleasure is the, the Greek word where we get our word hedonism from. And so we're going to do a, a quick excursion. I know it's probably too small for some of you in the back, unless you've got really good eyes, okay? But I did this on purpose because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, okay? But it's the word hedone, hedone, hedone okay? Um, which means a central pleasure. And you can see the definition that's up there, okay? In this the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. In philosophy, it is the ethical theory that pleasure or satisf satisfaction of your desires is the highest good and proper aim for mankind. Now, I want to stop for a moment. I want you to think about that. 
Does that sound like the American philosophy? 100% it does. We are a hedonistic society. The United Nations has us listed as a pagan nation, not a Christian nation. Okay? I've said this for years, and I challenge you to go check me out on it. Okay? Um, but they have a listing of the predominant religion of, of each country. If they're Islamic, they're Islamic. If they're this, they're this. Okay? The United States is listed as a pagan nation. We are a hedonistic nation. We're a nation that wants to fulfill the American dream. And the American dream is all about you, not about God. I want you to think about that. Again, we are self-deceived, be thinking, thinking that we are a Christianized land, and we're not. We are clearly post-Christianity at the best. We're post, 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 probably. Reality is, okay? And so, this term hedonism, hedone, you can see in Luke 8, 14, when Jesus is talking about the, the casting of the, 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 the four soils of the heart, and he says about the, the seed which was cast, and some of it goes upon the, the roadway, and some of it goes upon the rock, and some of it goes into the thorns. And it says that when it goes into the thorns, it's choked out by the cares, riches, and the hedonistic pleasures of the world. Now, you don't read it saying hedonistic pleasures, but it's the pleasures of the world, but it is that term, hedonism. It's selfish pleasures that's seeking to serve myself. And so... John's, John James is saying, where do the wars and the fightings come from? Don't they come from you trying to satisfy your own selfish pleasures? So Peter says, in Second uh, Peter 2 and then chapter, um, in throughout there he says, but there, as there were also false prophets among the people, even so there will be false teachers, pseudo-didaskalos, and remember when we were in James 3, we talked about didaskalos, didaskalos, that's the teachers, didaskaloi, okay? So teachers, the ones who are training. But there's going to be pseudo, like a pseudonym, a false name, pseudo-didaskalos, false teachers, who are going to come in, okay? And what are they going to do? They're going to secretly bring in destructive heresies. The term heresy literally means divisions, okay? So they're going to divide the, the church, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. I wish I could go into that, because that's a fun state phrase that's there. It's an emporium. They're going to be like selling you. Like, an, like you think about an emporium, that's the Greek word behind there, okay? And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it hedonism." who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Listen to what he says. In the end times, in the last days, that there are going to be some false teachers who are going to come to the church and they're going to teach hedonism. That's what it says. They're going to teach you all about self-pleasure. I sat, this is 25 years ago, maybe, I sat in First Presbyterian Church downtown. Now, this has nothing to do with First Pres, other than there was a, a nationally known speaker that was there. It was kind of a, a pastoral thing. It, it, he was going to do something else, but there was a pastoral conference. And this place was packed because he was a big name, and I'm not going to tell you it is. You can come to me later, and I'll tell you. But anyways, 
um, packed with pastors, packed with pastors. And he turned to the portion in the book of Matthew where Jesus says that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Are you talking about what I'm talking about? He says that about, um, that don't lodge yourself against the other, you know, don't be like the, the world rulers, you know, who want to be served. For even as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, okay, and to give himself a ransom for the many, okay? Literally, this guy took that verse, and only half of the verse, and he said, look at what it says here, and he says, the Son of Man came to serve. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. God doesn't want you to serve him. He wants to serve you. And then he began to teach on his uh, book, and so if you know what I'm going to tell you, you'll know who this is, on Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism. Those two terms are mutually exclusive. And he began to teach how God wants to please you and for you to be pleased. That's totally unbiblical. Throughout God's word, we're told that God wants us to serve him. In fact, Jesus was stating in that passage, you go check me out, the fact that he came to serve us by giving his body as a ransom for us. And so John 13, he says, just as I've done for you, so you do for others. And that was what? Serving. So this concept of hedonism is, is, is within the body of Christ, and it is going, running rampant. And that's why we have churches that it's all about how I feel, not about how God is glorified. So I want to ask you today, did you come here to get a feel-good, or did you come here to worship God? That's why the Church of Christ gathers together, is to glorify God, to worship Him. It's not so you can get a feel-good when you leave. I mean, honestly, if you came here and you knew I was preaching, you, weren't, you knew you weren't getting a feel-good when you left. Anyways, so, how did I hear an amen? Anyways, but this is a, it's a reality. And so this is something Bob struggles with as well. Even with the songs that I listen to, and, and I want, do I only listen to songs because they sound good to Bob? Or are they words which glorify God? That as I'm singing them and as I'm listening to them, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the... Say it louder. The glory of God. You know this. That my life should be done, lived to the glory of God. Not to the, to the pleasures of Bob. God has given me freedom. Remember that, that liberty from the law in order to serve you, in order to serve one another, in order to serve mankind, not so that I can do it for my own flesh. All right, I got to keep moving. I could keep working on that one, but but there's this whole thing. Do they not come from your hedonistic desires, right? So then he, he then gives the validation, okay? This is just coming right through the verses, guys, okay? So if you have your book, your Bible open, you see it. We're coming right through here, right? So what's his validation? You lust. Remember we talked about this word lust? It isn't necessarily a negative word. It is based upon what you're lusting after. Literally, epithemia, epithemia is the, a strong passion, and so you can have a strong passion for God, and it's not a bad thing. But the reality is that most of the times, our lusts are for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of our pride. He says, so you have these strong desires, but what? You don't have anything from it. Secondly, you murder and you covet. You zeal, you have this jealousy, and you cannot obtain. Thirdly, you fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not 
ask and with it you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your hedonistic pleasures. Jesus said, ask, finish it out, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you, right? He says, look, which one of you, if your son desires a fish, will you give him a serpent? If, you, if they want a piece of bread, you give them a stone. He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more so will your Father in heaven, your Father who is the giver of every good and perfect gift, right? He's the Father of lights. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. He's the one who's going to give wisdom. But the problem is, when you ask God for something, you're asking it for your own hedonistic pleasure. That's why I always joke about the, the pink Cadillac. I don't really don't care about a pink Cadillac. That's an extreme out there, okay, type thing. Okay? But the reality is that's how we pray sometimes. It's all about me. God, I really want a pink Cadillac. It's not about God. So Psalm 37, verse 4, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You want name it, claim it? That's there. 1 John 5, if you ask anything according to his will, you know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know you receive that which you ask for. You want name and claim it? There it is. Name and claim it's not all about getting things for Bob. That health and wealth movement is of the devil. It's false theology. When we ask, we're supposed to be asking according to God's will for his glory, for the betterment of others. So ask yourself, honestly, as you spend time with him in prayer, ask him, Father, please reveal to me where I'm being selfish, where I'm being all about myself and not about you. It's really okay. It's going to hurt, I promise you. It's gonna, 40 years into this thing, it hurts sometimes. I don't like when God points out, even this week someone pointed out to me the wrongful use of my mouth and, and, and that I offended them in something I said. That hurts. It's like, ah, oh, I did it again. You know, by this time I thought I'd be perfect, you know. But the reality is I'm still on the earth, so I'm not what? I'm not perfect. One day he's going to come, he's going to take me, and I'm going to be with him, and then I'll be perfect, Okay. I'll see him as he is, and I'll like him. That'll be so exciting. But on this end, I groan. I yearn, okay? But sometimes God points out to me. I ask him. I want him to. I, want him to, I, I don't want to be complacent in, in sinfulness, and so I, I ask. It's not nice when he points it out, though. Yeah, exactly right. It's like, I didn't really mean it, God. I didn't really want to know that I was bad. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, in my spiritual state, I want to grow like Jesus. Does it make sense? Yes. But in my fleshly state, when, when I'm in my flesh, what? I don't want to know. Okay? So here I am. I'm telling you straight up in my spiritual state. If I stumble, if I'm in my flesh, if I say something wrong, I want you to what? Hold me accountable. Do you get it? But I promise you, if you've got to hold me accountable, I might not like it. But I want it. Even if at that moment, it's not necessarily the most exciting thing that I... I was hearing at the moment. Okay? So, how do we know that the worldly wisdom is wrong? Well, all these things. You're, you're, you're doing all these things, and you're nowhere near where you should be. Do you know people like this? Now, I understand that there's some people who follow 
um, some wisdom in the world, quote-unquote wisdom in the world, I'm going to come back to that in a moment, and it seems like they are gaining money. But most people who are following this sensual pleasure thing, this hedonistic thing of the world, they are in so far in debt, and they still don't have anything. Think about it. They're spinning around. Because all they're trying to do is please themselves. But they still, in the end, so forget the physical stuff for a moment, spiritually now, they still have a what? They have a void. They're still not satisfied. They're still not fulfilled. Why? Because you'll never fulfill yourself through things of the earth. Okay, so he goes on, and now he gives him this castigation. He comes back at it, so he's, he's presented his case, and now he just lambasts them. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. How would you like it this morning if I started doing that to you? You probably, oh, Janet's already leaving on me. No, I'm just joking. They're not. I know they've got to go someplace. Um, but the point, that's exactly how it would look, though, right? If I came in and I started calling you adulterers and adulteresses and all that. But this is what James is doing. Again, this is a Jewish thought process. Okay? This is exactly what Yahweh referred to Israel as. He called them adulteresses and adulterers. They were going after other gods rather than him. They were looking to the gods of the world to be their providers and their protectors. And so God says, when you do that, you're an adulterer or an adulteress if you're female. You're only supposed to have one God and you're supposed to have a relationship with him. And so, men, in your marriage, Ephesians 5 tells us that you ought to be like Jesus, right? And the wife, you ought to be like the church. And we're supposed to have a chaste relationship with one another. Well, it's the same way is the picture then of us with Jesus Christ, okay? We're only supposed to have one husband, and that is Jesus Christ. If we go elsewhere, and we're looking elsewhere, we're adulterers and adulteresses. Well, oops, I went the wrong way. So do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, hostility, or being an enemy of God? And so he comes with this assertion then. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you want to try to fit in both places? If you do, you become an enemy of God. This is just, it's clear cut. I didn't say it, God says it. If you want to be a friend of the world, you're going to ultimately make yourself an enemy of God. You have to choose sides. You can't straddle the fence. You got to pick one side or the other side. It's just how it plays out. Validation. He says, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who uh, dwells in us yearns jealously? Okay, here's technical moment. Hopefully we'll go through this quickly because I've got to keep moving here, okay? But I don't think this is actually the, the, a proper translation. There's other translations, American Standard Version and some others that are going to agree with what I'm, I'm going to say here, okay? Um, I translated and I thought, man, am I out in left field? So whenever I feel like I might be out in left field, I go and I, ch I check out things, okay? Look at commentaries, look at stuff like that, just to, to make sure I'm not out there. Here's what I think it says. Or do you think the scriptures speak meaninglessly? So that word vain really means emptiness and meaningless, okay? Do you think the scriptures are meaningless? Why? First of all, there is no verse that says the spirit who gels in us yearns jealousy. There's no verse that says that. Okay, so, and there's no question marks in the Greek. Just so you know, in the original Greek, there's no question marks, okay? I mean, it just goes, same thing with the Hebrew, okay? There's, I mean, it just goes, and you have to make a decision of your punctuation and that kind of stuff and figure where all these things go, okay? So, so I think the question ends there. Do you think that the scriptures speak meaningless? Meaninglessly. The spirit who dwells in us desires 
to envy. Galatians 5. The spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit, and these are contrary to one another, so you cannot do the things that you would. There is a, there is a battle that's going on in the spiritual realm, and the spirit is jealous. Yahweh is a, is a jealous God, and he's not willing to share you with anybody else, okay? So he yearns, he moves toward enviness, jealousy, okay? But he gives what? He gives grace. He gives grace. Man, aren't you glad that your God, who is a jealous God, is also a God of grace? Think about it. If he was only a jealous God, and he acted like us, what would we get? Say it again, Joseph. Smacked out. Yeah, at best a verbal one. But the reality is, I mean, Mr. Police Officer, how, how many smackdowns do you find that, are, that go beyond the, the verbal smackdowns? Quite a few. I'm glad my God isn't that kind of God. But he's also a God of grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, and he does say this in the scriptures, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that comes from Proverbs 3, 34, from the Septuagint translation of it, okay? So, so that's how I would put it. So how does this play out? This is what he's saying to, to validate this. Look, God's going to resist you. If, you. if you go against him, he's going to resist you. But he's going to give more grace to the humble to the ones who readily admit that they blow it. Okay? So now we go to the other side, because now he's going to give us a prescription for heavenly wisdom. Based upon that, the first thing he says to do is do what? Submit to God. It's the word hupotasso again. Okay? This is the, the, the idea of, of subordination, that you recognize the fact that God is in charge, and you willfully bring yourself under his authority. We talked about it in Sunday school when we were talking about Islam and stuff like that, okay? And the whole idea of, of submission. God requires your submission, but he doesn't force your submission. There's a difference. You're not going to get to heaven your way. You've got to do it God's way. But he's not going to force you to do it. He's not going to kill you, put you on the, do this or die. In the end, that's, also, that's ultimately the judgment, but you make the choice. Make sense? So, submit to God, literally subordinate yourself to him, and resist the devil. It goes hand in hand. Think about it. Are you saved by receiving Christ, or are you condemned by rejecting Christ? The answer is yes. It's both one and the same. It's the same coin. It's just flip sides of it. You're given the gospel. If you receive Jesus, you go to heaven. You reject Jesus, you go to hell. It's the same thing. It's all one and the same. So, submit to God. And if you do that, what are you going to do? Resist the devil. Do you get it? I mean, it just it plays out. one Because the, there's a battle. You're going to make a choice. Whose wisdom do you want to follow? Do you want to follow the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the devil? And so you've got to resist the devil because the devil is what? He's working. He's evil, but he's working hard for you. He's going to make it look appealing to you. He's going to make it look right to you. But this is the word of and if you don't know it, it's easy to fall to deception. You need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that's within you, with meekness and fear. Knowing the truth is your best defense against deception. Submit to God, 
resist the devil. That word for resist, anti-estemi, literally means to stand against. And you can see, go to the verses and you can look at those, but that's Ephesians 6 when we're told over and over again to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's it, okay? So we're told to stand, to stand and withstand. Secondly, so, oh, I, I didn't say this. You'll note on your sermon note sheets if you have it, and as it plays out up here, I've got these divided into categories, okay? They kind of go together and like that in the Greek as well as it comes out, okay? And so this next part is to draw not near to God, draw nigh to God. So if you are submitting to God, resisting the devil, the next step in the prescription is then draw near to God. So first, you've got to submit to God. Then you've got to draw near to him, okay? How do you do that? With prayer. I mean, Hebrews chapter 10 is very clear that, that we can draw near because of the blood of Christ and that he's opened up the, the new and living way for us, okay? But again, he's not going to force it upon you. You have to make the decision. In the morning, every morning, now there are times I, I, I don't get to it, and, and so I, I'm there, okay? But as a whole, in the morning, the first, my first appointment in the morning is meeting with God, okay? If you've never read My Heart, Christ's Home, it's a little bitty book, um, it's a great book to read, okay? And it has a picture of Jesus sitting in a fireplace room wanting to be with you in the morning, okay? That's the picture that I have in my brain. I want to meet with my Abba, my daddy, every morning. He's there waiting for me. He's going to teach me something from his word. He's going to listen to me with my concerns, my complaints, my whatevers, okay? And he's going to talk to me. He's going to help me. He's going he's to guide me. He's going to through the day then, he helps me and guides me. But I have to make the decision, and I have to set my clock in order to have that time. It's amazing. People have good intentions, but they don't have good skills at setting their alarms. Up. Okay? Well, I, I, I can't get up that early. I, I'm going to have to do it later on. But later never comes. Yeah, because the day gets what? It's busy. It's out of my control at that moment. The next thing I know, I'm trying to lay my head on the pillow, and I say to myself, man, I can't read God's word now. I ain't going to get anything out of it. Make it your priority to draw near to God, and then he will draw near to you. Now, as you're drawing near to him, as you're reading his word, you're spending time in his presence, the next thing you want to do is what? Cleanse your hands. Again, um, kathartos, katartizo, uh, is, is a, again, this term which um, goes back to the Old Testament being cleansed and cleaning, okay? So you want to cleanse your hands, and you want to purify your heart. Psalm 24, David says, who can uh, come into your presence? Who can stand in your holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul unto idols, nor swear falsely, okay? So that's where this thought process is coming from, okay? You want to cleanse your hands. You want to purify your hearts. You want to say to God, God, I want to be clean and pure before you. Reveal to me the places when I, where I am not walking holy like you are holy. And when he does, lament, mourn, weep. You ought to be lamenting and mourning and weeping for the, the, the place where you are not walking in his presence, for how you are not walking in, in, in conformance to his will and to his way. Does it bother you? Does it bother you when you look out to the church and you see the church not being conformed to the image of Christ? It ought to. You ought to be weeping, lamenting, mourning, weeping, crying out to God, God, cleanse me, purify me. I hate being like this, Lord. 
I know this is a stench in your nostrils. Lying lips are what? What are they? Say it louder. Abomination. Lying lips are an abomination to Yahweh. Is it to you? When you, t- just a little bitty lie? Just, you know. uh, so it's not a, an extreme abomination to God. It's just a little abomination. God can deal with the little abominations. No, I mean, how awful is that? We ought to be lamenting. We ought to be mourning. We ought to be weeping before God. Revival starts with me. If I want to see revival in the United States, it's got to start with Bob. If Bob isn't willing to walk according to the standards of God, why do I expect unbelievers to? We want a Christianized nation, but we don't want to be Christianized ourselves. Track with me? That goes back to James's comment, right? Adulterers and adulteresses. Man, I do not want that label. I don't want that label. Humble yourselves in the sight of Yahweh, and he will lift you up. Multiple passages that talk about that as well. That even Jesus modeled that for us, that he humbled himself. And David talked about that in the, in the um, communion time, how Jesus humbled himself and came in the form of a man. I need to humble my pride when I come to God. That's ultimately where it's going to play out. What was the sin of Satan? Say it again louder. Pride. I want to be like the Most High God. And when I struggle with pride, I'm walking in that very thing. So again, this is hard, this is rough, but this is from God's Word. And so this is for Bob, but it's an all-play. You get to join into this thing, okay? i got to do these things, okay? i got to submit to God, resist the devil, draw the inner of God, cleanse my hands, purify my heart. i got to lament more and weep about what's going on and allow my laughter to turn into to mourning and my joy into gloom instead of just playing around with the world and all this kind of stuff. Man, i gotta, I got to get down and seeking God. And to do that, I'm going to need to humble myself knowing that God is faithful, that he will what? He will lift me up. He will rise me up. Finally, do not speak evil or speak against. Kata lalao literally means to speak against. Okay? And so if you're speaking against somebody, it's taken as evil. Okay? But it doesn't say speak evil against somebody. It just says speaking against somebody. So don't speak against somebody. Okay? That's the idea. You know, unless it's for their edification. If it's not for their edification, close your mouth. Now, or the edification, if you would, of the body, that's important as well, okay? But this speaking against one another is tattling, okay? And so Proverbs talks about tattling, okay? And we always told the kids, if you come and you tattle on your, on your brother or your sister, and you're not going to them biblically, trying to bring them, draw them to righteousness, then you're going to get the punishment that, they want, that you wanted them to get. That comes from the book of Proverbs, okay? That's what God's going to do, okay? So... He who speaks evil or against his brother judges his brother. He, then he speaks evil of the law and judges the law. In other words, when you do that, you set yourself up as the what? The judge. That's what he's saying. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver, and you're not it. Yeah? Don't you tell your kids there's only one dad in this house, <laughs> and you're not it? There's only one mom. Guess what? You're not her. There's only one God. There's only one ultimate judge. And guess what? You're not it. I'm not it. 
That's extremely hard. Because a lot of us are, are of that mindset, right? Where we, we see and we want justice and we want this kind of stuff. But I've got to wait for God to play out his justice in his time. And you know what? Those people that I want justice against, God loves them. And he wants to see them come to repentance. And it may seem like on the earth they never get the, 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 the results that I wanted them to get on the earth. And when they get to heaven, they're going to share in your inheritance. Does that make you even feel like worse? That means you're following worldly wisdom because you're looking for your own self-pleasure on this one, not what God's desire is. I've got to desire the things of God. That is the hardest thing when I'm doing things. So, in the end, which way of wisdom are you following? Are you setting your mind on the things above? Or are you actively seeking to draw yourself toward God? Is your life full of stress and conflict? Are you living a hedonistic lifestyle? I mean, in the end, that's how it plays out, right? If, you, if you've got stress and conflict going on in your life, it probably is because you're only seeking about yourself and not about God. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the truth of your word. Sometimes that truth is hard. Sometimes we don't want to hear it. And yet, Lord, you put it in your word for us to learn and to grow from it. So, Lord, I pray that you would help me, specifically, individually, and then these others as well, to walk in the way of your wisdom. Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would submit to your will, we would resist the devil, we would seek to draw near to you, we would seek to have clean hands and a pure heart, that we would be devastated, Lord, as you are devastated, that we would lament, we would mourn, we would weep over our sin and, and the sin that's in this world. Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you and that we would not speak against one another. They would not seek to bring division amongst your people. But Lord, that we would seek to exalt your name. That we would seek to promote your kingdom. That with our mouths, Lord, that we would speak forth grace to those who hear and not bitterness and not envy, not lies. Lord, be magnified in my life. Be magnified in this assembly that we may give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.